The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO and Power Plus, their next generation broker portal that gives you more speed and control over the process. You can now disclose, lock, and manage your loan seamlessly from start to finish, all in one place. It's another reason why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is Division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Non-QM lenders grew their share of the mortgage market after the pandemic, but now they're struggling to attract investors. So could this mean trouble for non-QM originators? Welcome to The Principal. I'm Mike Savino, head of multimedia for the Mortgage News Network. Today, we're doing something a little different. We're going to bring you part of a conversation between NMP editor Dave Krzyzewski and two directors at Kroll Bond Rating Agency, Daniel Hall and Jack Cahan. They were two of the authors on a new report by KBRA, looking at a backlog of non-QM-backed securities that are redeemable, but have not been called. We're only going to hear part of the conversation. Dave first talked with Dan and Jack about some of the technical stuff in their report, things like how non-QM-backed securities get rated and the process to redeem them. The long and short of that, obviously non-QM loans are different from qualified mortgages, but KBRA doesn't automatically view non-QM securities as being a higher risk. It all depends on the mortgages that are in those securities. And non-QM-backed securities are often callable after two or three years once certain conditions are met. So why isn't that happening? Why aren't they being recalled? And what does this mean for origination? That's what we're going to find out as part of this conversation. The KBRA study did go on to say that market conditions could change in 2023 and that these securities could be recalled. But this backlog will still create a jam for non-QM-backed securities that will become callable in the near future. And of course, if non-QM lenders are struggling to find funding, it could make it harder to originate these loans going forward. All right. So we've kind of laid the groundwork here for um, the report, which found that there is a growing backlog for redemption of non-QM securitizations. And I guess the question is, how significant is that backlog and what's causing this? It's pretty big. The backlog is is pretty big. It's at 27 securitizations at the last count, approximately $3 billion, which is about seven and a half deals in kind of the average deal that goes out, non-QM deal that we end up rating. So it's a good chunk of loans um, in these deals that could be called that's not being called. And uh, typically it's it's really being caused by the general market environment, right? And it's not economical for the issuer to be calling that. Like Jack was just saying in the very beginning, if if they go to refi, can they get a better deal now in today's market than they got three years ago when they issued this deal um, in the first place? And oftentimes the answer is no, given the volatility of the markets that we're seeing. Okay, so how much of that of what's happening is attributable to what the Federal Reserve is doing and by extension, what's happening with mortgage rates and, and other interest rates you know, in the economy. 
you know, I don't know if we have a good handle on exactly how much you can attribute to one factor or the other. Okay. But uh, it's certainly uh, attributable to the spreads that's out there, that risk premium that's out there. Because general mortgage rates, if those go up, that's kind of it will eventually work itself into the system where the the underlying mortgages are a higher rate too, uh, as well as the bond kind of coupon. But um, it's certainly due to that economic factor where you've got monetary uh, policy changes, you've got risk premiums being added in this environment, you've got general wariness because of the volatility of the changes that we're seeing. Um, investors are sometimes just stepping out on the sidelines and saying, you know, they've had enough of repricing bonds uh, for a little bit and waiting till it calms down. Um, so a lot of that is is really adding to the, you know, what's driving it. But I, I can't really say it's one factor over the other. It's it's a combination of everything that's making the new issue market uh, strenuous at best at the moment, and thus the callability of these deals. Um, Question. Okay. Is it affecting not only non-QM securitizations, but all securitizations as well? Yes. In short answer, it is. Uh, there are many different sub-asset classes that Jack and myself look at on a daily basis. Non-QM prime, those are affected to a different degree for sure. Um, and there, there are some subclasses that are less affected than non-QM. Okay. And so, you know, is the market for securitizations, is that sort of shrinking or drying up be just because of the way the economy is at this point? I wouldn't say it's shrinking or drying up, but it is a challenging market out there. And for securitizations in general, okay. issuers are um, weighing uh, what it takes to to go out to the market with the other factors that they have to consider, financing on a short term basis for loans, being one of them, and and keeping a, a, a going platform where it's constantly issuing and providing liquidity to active investors. Okay, David, if I can, if yeah, I can, add, yeah. So you know, you're asking about the different asset classes, at least within within mortgages. Um, you know, we focused on non-QM for this report because the non-QM transactions are the ones that typically have these optional call provisions, which are coming, which are coming up now. Um, if you think about QM transactions or, or prime uh, credit-backed transactions, they typically don't have time period-based optional redemption terms. They usually have collateral factor terms that are set much lower than what we see in the non-QM space. Usually that's a 10% factor. So the deal has to pay down 90% or more. One of the other unique things about why the secure, you know, when you talk about the securitization market, at least for RMBS, why there's a focus now on non-QM is because in the in the QM space, in the either the jumbo non-agency space or the agency space, there are other financing outlets that are available for originators. So in the agency space, obviously you can sell your loans to Fannie and Freddie. And at, at some point, there is a private label market that may be more favorable for agency loans. And that happened for a time during 2021. And so agency loans made their way into, into the private label space. But when that when that trade turns and it's more attractive to sell to Fannie and Freddie, there's another outlet for Prime Jumbo. 
there's other outlets for issuers on bank balance sheet. You know, large banks will purchase these loans on balance sheet, and that's just a different set of economics versus private label. These types of financing options are not available typically to non-QM originators. And so many non-QM originators, not all, need to access the securitization market. And so you know, we're seeing that even though volumes of origination are declining as mortgage rates have increased, um, what, what is being originated typically does need to come to market. Um, and we're seeing that tested now with, with spreads at where they are. But um, you know, that market continues at some level because it may be the only option for financing for some originators. Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors. It's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com. Okay. That's a really good point. I guess the other question I should ask before I move on to my final question is you have the Federal Reserve uh, out in the market offloading the mortgage-backed securities that it acquired during the pandemic. And is is that having an effect on on what's happening with, maybe not, I guess, I guess it won't really affect non-QM because the agencies can't buy those non-QM loans. But is it having an effect on the overall market, I guess, is the question. And what kind of effect? Yeah, I, I think the overall the overall positioning of the Fed of rising interest rates, the comments yet that are being made and, and the mission that they're you know trying to achieve, which also includes their selling of MBS, all of that and the speed of that is contributing to um is contributing to both the direction of coupons and, and spreads in the market and the volatility of those spreads and the, and the volatility and the, the 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 speed of these movements and changes from the fed um are are part of why pricing in in pricing across structured finance but now taking a look at non-qm specifically is because that's what's being securitized is um you know, is is being priced so high uh, by investors just because of the general volatility around that. So it's the overall positioning of the Fed. Okay. Thank you for that. Sure. So that brings me to what, you know, I have as my last question, which, which is, does KBRA have any concerns that non-QM loans in general could cause problems similar to those caused by the unqualified mortgages that were issued during the housing crisis of the Great Recession. And I know that when I talk to people who do a lot of non-QM loans, they say these are not the these are not your father's right. <laughs> qualified mortgages from from you know the 2008 time period. And I understand that there's a lot more of documentation now than there was then, but there's still a, a, this kind of underlying question. So. Where 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 does KBRA stand on this? Um, well, I would deco definitely echo that type of feedback. I mean, the and and it sounds like you've heard it, and it sounds like um, you know people may be fairly well aware of this. So it, it does. I, I think that carries much of the point here, which is that all of these loans, whether they're qualified or non-qualified, they operate under the ability to repay rules, and and. That means that even a non-qualified mortgage has to have 
um, income and employment documentation that is you know verifiable, third party third party verifiable, and can um, you know can be used to underwrite the actual DTI or residual income for the borrower. So that that base level is stronger than a large portion of loans that were originated in the run-up to the crisis because they were stated doc or no doc loans. So it's even though it may be obvious or, or you know people know it that that's a big it's a big point. Um, the other thing I would say is that non-QM, you know, by virtue of of you know the the way that it is it is set out as not being QM, it's kind of sounds like it's a bad thing. And it's true that the credit characteristics of non-QM loans are typically worse, at least some of them, than what than what's originated in the QM space. Although it doesn't have to be the case. There's no there's no reason why necessarily a QM loan, a non-QM loan has to be synonymous with a non-prime loan. Uh, as Dan said, being non-QM could be as simple as being a wealth management product where a borrower takes out an interest-only loan but has an 800 FICO and has a 50 LTV. That's a non-QM loan, but that's not a bad credit loan. Right. Um, but to be fair, that's not what most non-QM loans are that we see in the market. And they typically are lower FICO than what we see in um, in the QM space. But, but as a comparison to you know, pre-global financial crisis, the non-QM loans we see today average 735 FICO, 740 FICO. You would have had a 600, you know, a six handle, a 600 handle FICO on a subprime loan, easy in um, in uh, you know pre-crisis, and LTVs um, are are you know much lower in this scenario too, where most deals are originated. Uh, with weighted average LTVs that are between 70 and 75, and 75 is usually quite, you know, on the high side for a non-QM deal. So you have a lot of equity in in houses, and you have, you know, usually higher FICO scores than what you would have had pre-crisis. So there's that risk layering that you don't have, and and you have the income documentation. Now, notably, the non-QM income documentation is usually non-traditional, right? Dan mentioned bank statement originations and, and so forth. So it's usually self-employed borrowers a lot of the time. Um, so they are higher risk than QM loans in the transactions that we see, but not to the level that we've seen in, you know, in the global financial crisis. A, a lot of key uh, deficiencies in underwriting are are not around anymore. Okay. Well, you know, anybody who had questions, that should be very encouraging to them, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, unless there's anything else you think I haven't covered that you want to comment on as far as the report that was issued. Uh, otherwise, uh, I think we're all set. And I'd just like to thank both of you for joining me today. Uh, and, um, you know, I appreciate the report. And I think it's 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 interesting just to see where things are and you know what what some of the issues are that people may not think about as as the economy kind of struggles to to write itself so i appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today thanks very much thank you david bye we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor this podcast was brought to you by penny mac tpo and power plus their next generation broker portal visit tpo.pennymac.com to sign up 
PennyMac TPO is Division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS ID number 35953, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Here are the rest of your headlines for today, October 21st. Sellers are still trying to catch up with this summer shift in the housing market. A new report from Redfin shows two things. Homes are on average spending twice as much time on the market as they were during the spring when we hit a low of just 17 days. And that's leading to the most price drops since the start of the pandemic. It's because demand is falling faster than inventory and buyers right now are in a position to take advantage by asking for price drops in terms like rate buy-downs or having the seller to pay for repairs. In other news, New Jersey-based PHH Mortgage Services will have to pay out $2 million after refusing a homeowner loss mitigation during a divorce. Lawyers for the homeowner say she tried for five years to get loss mitigation as provided by federal law and Freddie Mac guidelines. Eventually, PHH sued her for foreclosure in 2018. The arbitrator said in her decision that the corporate actions and indifference when practiced to the harm of a targeted group can easily be described as malicious. This has been The Principle, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Kutamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygaze. You can find episodes of The Principle at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.